Welcome to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. I want to thank all of you for joining us today on your favorite radio station. We appreciate you being with us this fine day. I got a couple of great guests here in studio today, and I'm going to introduce them here in a minute. But again, if you want to listen to any of our previous programs, that's pretty simple to do. All you have to go do is uh, hop on to Pfeiffer's website at pfeiffers.com. Click on the radio banner and you can listen to any of our previous podcasts on either Apple or Spotify if you want to go back and listen to any of those, a variety of different topics. Today, our guests are Randy Melvin and Jerry Melvin from Buffalo, North Dakota. They've been on our show before. I'd like to bring them in not only because they're good friends of mine, but we always get to talk about production agriculture and we got a third generation and a fourth generation farmer with us today. We're going to talk about spring planting in North Dakota and where we're at with everything. And uh, it's been an interesting year. How you doing, Randy? Hey, good morning, Kevin. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you for being here. Jerry, how you doing? We're doing good. Good to see you this weekend. Yeah, good to see you. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, glad to see you guys. Thank you for coming in. It's always a pleasure to have you guys in studio because we got boots on the ground, right? So you guys are busy planting out in Buffalo, North Dakota, which is on the western edge of uh, Cass County. So you guys got a lot of things going on, corn, soybeans, dryable beans and all types of different cash crops that you guys raise over on the Melvin farm. But you know, what a difference a year makes is, you know, last year you guys were on my show, we were in the middle of a drought. Remember that Randy? Yes, I do. Yeah. We were in, I think it was in June. You guys were here in the middle of a, a severe drought. Now all of a sudden excess moisture, unbelievable, isn't it? It's unreal. Um, actually this morning I was going back and looking and for precip the months of August, September and October, and then April, May, we're at 25, almost 26 inches of rain. Unbelievable. And that doesn't count anything we had in the middle of winter for snow precip or from November through the end of March. And I think the average in the Red River Valley is like 22 to 24 inches of annual water, rainfall, snow, whatever you want to call it, right? That's and correct. At least between 20 and 22 inches. Yeah. So that, that's incredible when you think about it. But, you know, last year, you know, we had a lot of guests on our show. We were talking about all kinds of different things from soil health and all types of different issues having to deal with the drought and how do you handle everything in a drought situation. Now it is the total opposite all over the region, not only in central and western North Dakota, but even in the valley now. You think about it, how wet it is. That's very true. I mean, it's the whole state yeah. for the most part. And you, even Minnesota and South Dakota are dealing with it also. You know, we're going to talk about a lot of different things today since we got Jerry Melvin and, and Randy Melvin in studio today. We're going to talk about federal crop insurance a little bit, some of the guidelines there. Uh, we were talking off air earlier about, you know, federal crop insurance and how a lot of farmers, obviously, they'd rather put in a crop than collect uh uh, any sort of coverage that would come through, prevent a plant through federal crop. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to talk about uh, input costs because these guys are on the front line buying hundreds of thousands of dollars and not millions of dollars worth of input every year and, and what inflation has done to the American farmer because we forget about that. You can turn any TV program on and watch the news and everybody talks about all the inflation. The more you have to pay for eggs and bacon and milk and everything, but, you know, you don't really hear that much about, okay, what does it cost to produce all of that product, right? And, Jerry, you've been through a lot of cycles, so you understand that too. But you think about it, you know, eggs and bacon are up 20%, 30%. But all the input costs that go to producing all of that food so that these animals can eat it and that type of thing, all those costs are up too. They're up tremendous, as you stated. The interesting part of it is, as I recall back 50 years ago in the cycle that we previously experienced, was that uh, there was increases in price, but there was not the shortages 
that we've got today. And the truckers, you we never heard, they complained about the fuel prices, but the products always got there. But now there's such delays in trucking and transportation issues that uh, it's brought a whole new adjustment for them for the people to, to uh, live with. You know, it's interesting. You know, I, you know, obviously you and I are, are close to the same vintage. Uh, Randy, fortunately, has many, many more decades ahead of him. But, uh, you know, you think about it, and I've noticed this more now than ever in my lifetime, the things that you're talking about, inflation. I've never seen it this rapid. I mean, yeah, you know, some of the more uh, common ones would be obviously fuel, whether it's gasoline. You know, most people can relate to gas prices, not necessarily diesel like a farmer would. But, you know, you think about what we're paying for gas, record high gas prices. But when you do go into a store, whether you're buying clothing or whether you're buying food or whatever it might be, you really notice it now more than ever. I mean, I went into a restaurant the other day, and, and it wasn't a Starbucks or a Caribou coffee either. It was three and a half dollars for a cup of coffee, and and normally it's like a, a buck ninety nine or whatever. You uh, you go get any anything at any clothing store or whatever it might be. We're seeing huge prices, and then like you say, you add that in to are you even able to get certain things? And I would imagine for a farmer where, you know, you guys are, you deal with a lot of parts. I mean, are you, are you seeing how prices of parts are going up or if you can even get them? Well, there's no question that uh, there's a lot of parts that we just have to wait for. And, uh, I was talking to a gentleman today and, uh, he indicated that uh, he needed a cylinder for one of his units and the nearest cylinder was down in Missouri. And so, you know, to get it up here and it should have been something that they would have normally had on stock but you know those things just happen but when you look at all of the containers that are sitting in the ports and they all have a destination and some of them are ours that's you know they have to be unloaded they have to be redirected to uh, where they're supposed to be going and uh, they need to be there and that's one of the keys that i see but you know when i look back on the 50-year cycle that I've talked about so many times. You know, I ordered, a, <clears throat> I remember back in 1973, a tractor that you ordered, by the time you got it, the next May or June was up probably 1500 to $2,000. And it came without parts, certain parts they didn't have. But the, we didn't have to wait six months to a year to get them. Now, there were some things that Randy ordered that took over a year to get. So, you know, there's just adjustments, but, you know, in the cycle, the way I've uh, interpreted it, every 50 years, things go up three to five times and it's an adjustment. Now, I remember purchasing fuel in the, uh, before the Arab embargo at 15 cents a gallon and it wasn't long, it was over 50. Isn't that incredible? You think about it. No, okay. Let's you know we're talking input costs this segment here in the first in the first twelve minute segment that we have this morning. So let's keep on with that. Was there any shortage of your regular input costs this year for fuel, uh, fertilizer, seed, anything like that? Or was there a shortage? Obviously, there was an increase, and we can talk about that. But was there a shortage of any of the inputs? As of right now, we haven't been affected by a shortage to date. And you know, you look at the cost of fertilizer. Yeah, it was up one hundred and fifty, two hundred percent. You know, back in December, you could have contracted fuel for the spring for around two forty. Now it's five dollars, and you know. But as far as getting delivery of the fuel so far, we haven't had an issue from that. Now the part that we are concerned about, and I believe the supply chain is opening up, is the chemicals and some of the other crop protection products we're going to need in June, July, and August, and the availability of those. 
does have a little bit of concern. We've been trying to get those on hand, but um, you know, as those supplies open up, we we believe we should be okay for the growing season, but we aren't sure about any hiccups that might come into place. So you're talking basically about any of the the herbicides, pesticides, fungicides, or anything like that that you know once the crop is up and going, you really need access to those. Yep. To date, we're okay, but it's um, as we go forward because some of those products you aren't going to use until end of June or early July. So it's, it's the supply chain at those way it sounds. Everything is is trickling down. We should be okay, but there's always still some concerns about those products showing up. So fertilizer basically double from a year ago. Uh, diesel more than double from a year ago, right? We're talking off-road diesel prices yep. compared to a year ago. So we're so I know you go to the go to a truck stop now and get diesel. I, I saw earlier today, it was, you know, $5 and five cents. You know, year, last year it was half of that. Same thing on the off farm fuel. Yeah, yes, that's correct, Kevin. You know, and think about it. You guys got a lot of field work left to do yet this year. You got to put the rest of the crop in. You got to spray the crop. You got to put the chemical down. You have, you have to harvest the crop. You got to haul the crop to, to the market. I mean, you guys got a lot of inputs ahead of you. We do. I mean, we're fortunate the prices offset it um, to some degree, but now it's just getting that crop planted and produced to hopefully be able to pay back those bills. How far in advance do you normally try and contract your fuel prices? Do you try and do that? You know, obviously for this spring, you probably already contracted last year, whatever it might be, but how far in advance do you normally and how far can you, I mean, is there a limit on how far out you can contract? You know, that's a great question, Kevin. Um, As far as normal for our operation, and if you ask 10 different farmers, you'll probably get 10 different answers, but you know, we try and, you know, look at the markets. If we have a low, we'll try and get some on hand. You know, normally we don't go in the year with 100% purchase because we, you know, their variability as far as how much fuel you're going to use. You know, we always try and get at least a third, you know, maybe half of it contracted as we're going forward. This year, you know, we're hoping we got enough contracted, but that's, um, it's always a moving target. You know, it's interesting when you think about, okay, now we're at, you know, five, let's just say $5 for round number for diesel. Okay, now you're kind of like, oh my, do I wait? Maybe it'll go down. Um, obviously, it's affected by a lot of different things. You know, obviously, we have a policy in America right now where we're not necessarily fully embracing fossil fuels. Obviously, uh, I'm sure the Ukrainian war has a little bit of a negative in- effect on it, not as much as a lot of people would would think it would. But, but again, you know, if if things change at all, obviously, however it might be politically or or whatever it might be in the market it's probably a tough spot for you guys to be at. Do you contract now for the fall or do you just kind of wait it out and see where we're going to be? Well, I think right now, when you look at some of these supply chain issues we've had in other products, having the supply on hand is probably more critical than waiting for a price drop in the market that may or may not happen. Folks, I tell you what, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. Appreciate everybody listening in today. I want to thank uh, Gerald uh, Melvin and Randy Melvin from Buffalo, North Dakota, for joining us. They're going to be with us the entire show today. Appreciate it. Jerry, I promise we're going to let you have a little bit more microphone time in the next segment. So Randy and I aren't ganging up on you, okay? I also want to thank our friends at Pfeiffer's Auction Realty and Pfeiffer's Farm Land Management for sponsoring our show and our podcast every week. You can reach them at 877 877- 700-4099 or if you want to reach their farmland or equipment auctioneers, their farmland managers or the real estate agents and brokers, you can email them at info at Nobody does it better than the group at Pfeiffer's. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. We'll be right back after this break. $1,000 here now too. So your wave for $1,750. 
Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Piper, America's Land Auctioneer. I want to thank all of you again for joining us on this beautiful Saturday morning. We certainly do appreciate it. Folks, if you get a chance, go back into pipers.com, click onto the radio banner, and you can listen to all of our previous, I don't know, Spencer 67, 68 podcasts that we have. You can listen to those on Apple or Spotify if you'd like. We've got some great shows. This is the third time we've had the Melvins here from Buffalo, North Dakota. I like to bring them in because they bring a unique perspective in many different ways. Uh, obviously, they're producers and uh, uh, farmers, obviously, and they do a great job over in the western edge of Cass County. So we're going to talk about a lot of different things today. I want to finish up, though, Jerry, on the input costs. I want to talk about fuel. Uh, just to put it in perspective, uh, if you drive, let's say if you drive from Bismarck, to Jamestown, you know, you're probably going to burn probably about three, three gallons of gas, right? And it's going to take an hour and a half to get there. You're not going to burn a whole lot of gas or diesel if you're driving a pickup or a car. Uh, if you're driving a big four-wheel drive tractor, 450, 500 horsepower down the field, what are you burning an hour? Well, you're probably burning between 20 and 25 gallons an hour. And you can take the pick of the price that you paid for the fuel, whether it be uh, $4 or close to $5 you're burning $100 an hour in fuel. Now, on the other side of it, you're definitely getting some work done. Yeah, There's no question about that. But the point is, from the out, from the cost of doing, of running those machines, they are, it's running up substantially. You know, when you think about it, okay, so let's say you put in a 10-hour day on that, on that particular four-wheel drive tractor. Let's say you get going early in the morning, 7 o'clock, go to 7 o'clock at night, got 10, 12 hours in, right? So all of a sudden you're burning over $1,000 a diesel for that day just on that tractor alone. And comparatively, a year ago, it'd be half of that, right, Randy? So we're talking about 500 bucks. That's correct. Yeah, and that's just one tractor. So then you got one that's running maybe uh, the air drill and one's running the corn planter or whatever it might be. So then you got all these other pieces of equipment going, all the pickups and the trucks and everything. So in any given day, this time of the year, obviously, when, when you're busy putting the crop in, uh, mentoring that crop, you know, getting ready for the the uh, application of the chemicals or whatever, hey, you, you're burning through a lot of capital in a hurry on a day, uh, you know, just basically in this 45, 60 day window. It has up in a hurry. You're right. I mean, especially depending on how many outfits you have running. But, you know, the thing is, is you got to remember, too, is not just the fuel that's up. I mean, you got to pay for somebody in the seat. You got to pay for the maintenance on it, you know, depreciation. You know, what's the cost of the machine per hour, too, as far as, you know, what are you paying out as far as, you know, as far as your, your value of it also? You know, let's let's shift gears just a little bit. I want to talk to you guys a little bit about tiling, the tiling of ground. You know, last year we didn't talk a whole lot about it, even though we had uh, Agassiz drain tile on one day and we talked a little bit about the benefits of, of tiling. Um, it's interesting, you know, when you drive around North Dakota, and I was up and down the Ritter Valley here again this past week quite a bit, and on the edges of the valley, there's certain areas, you know, it's kind of the, it's almost like the haves and the have-nots as far as you either got rain or you didn't get rain or whatever it might be. You could be within the same county or even within the same township, and people are getting two, three inches more rain in your farm or whatever it might be. But, you know, for the most part, North Dakota's uh, getting their crops in finally in most areas. And I know there are areas that aren't, like my hometown of Laramore, you know, they're, they're probably only 25, 30% planted. So they're way behind the curve in, in many, many areas. But, you know, when you're driving up and down wherever you are, 
you see a lot of the tiling. Uh, you see a lot of, especially where they have the lift pumps. They're running really good now. And I know you guys are you know big into tiling. You you see the benefits of it. Uh, you have the theory that you know what instead of maybe going out and acquire more land, let's just improve the quality of land that we have. So I would imagine, Randy, in a year like this, you you are seeing some major league benefits from tiling. You're spot on, Kevin. I mean, as far as this year and the planting so far and the fields that have been drain tiled, you know, and just seeing the the seed bed that we've had, I mean, it's definitely paid for itself this year alone. I mean, if as far as as a producer, it's probably been the biggest um, benefit I've seen, you know, going back to the last 10, 13 years of having some tile ground as far as what the spring benefit has been. So, you know, the, you know, two benefits from tiling that I've constantly been made aware of is obviously, number one, it gets rid of the excess moisture so you can get it, your, your seed bed to a manageable level, obviously. But the other thing is once you get that excess water out of there, the soil will warm up sooner, as I understand it, so you get more, more growing days. But So you have some instances on, on your farm where, you know, clearly it was either a, basically if you didn't, if you didn't have the tiling in, you would have no crop now versus you, you have it in, it's been effective and you're going to be able to plant a crop. Well, Kevin, as far as the corn acres that we do have planted to date, we planted the first 80, 75% of those acres on drain tile ground and nothing else was even close to being fit. And then we moved to the corn acres around ground that was not tiled and we planted those. And just seeing the difference between those fields pulling in and when you're checking the seed depth and those corn plants in there, and just how the soil structure was, it was a an unbelievable difference in that ground conditions for those plants and how we planted that field. So it's um, we've always felt we've we've seen a benefit to tile, but this year it's it's just substantially more of a benefit than what we've seen previously. Yeah, you know, and, and just for our listeners too to be able to understand this, you know, obviously. You know, you want a tile ground that has good soil too, obviously. You know, you can't make silks out of a pig's ear or whatever the, the saying is, right? You know, you can't have a bunch of alkali land, of course, even though tiling would help some of that to a degree. But you you don't really want to do it necessarily on lower income producing soil uh, that, you know, no matter what, tiling won't help or irrigation might not help or whatever. But, you know, in your area of North Dakota, when you're on the western edge of the valley here, uh, for the most part, up and down that whole area you farm in, there's really good land over there, and it's good soil. So if you can remove that excess moisture, you're going to almost be guaranteed a crop, unless obviously you get hail or whatever it might be. It definitely takes one of those factors that can reduce your production and kind of helps eliminate it, or not completely eliminate it, but helps mitigate some of those risks with it. You know, and the things with tile, as far as the benefits on our farm, you know, with, with the elevation difference we have, is, you know, we're 307 feet higher elevation than Fargo in 38 miles. You know, and even amongst parcels, we have a 50 to 75 foot drop in elevation. And so some of the benefits too is erosion control, you know, slowing the speed of that water down. And, you know, so with that all taken account, because those early springs, we rains we had in April when that ground was still frozen, there was a lot of water moved it fast and create gullies and washouts in some of these fields. And the tile helped alleviate that to some degree. Yes, we still had some because nothing you can do is going to slow that water down when you get it rolling downhill that fast with frozen ground. But just besides the maintaining your structure of your soil plus the benefits for, for, for production, 
it really was beneficial this year. And then also the other thing too, Jerry, you know, unlike, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, whatever, even the 80s, you know, obviously we didn't have the crop diversification. We didn't have this manifestation of all this corn. So now add that into what Randy's saying, you know, now you, you have more crop diversification too. You can get that corn in earlier than, and you know, back when we weren't drain tiling, you couldn't, you didn't really have that option. Well, that's absolutely true. And the, the important part about the whole issue of water is water has to be managed and it has to be managed by the individual so that you make it work for you. So with that, you know, sometimes you can't tile everything. So surface drainage is important, but you have to make sure it's not going to destroy the land with the speed that it gets as it starts moving downhill. You know, and, and one, one thing about it is, you know, a lot of people think, well, water management, yeah, okay, I don't have irrigation. What am I managing? But really, you know, in our part of the country, where you do have these higher water tables and there's a lot of springs or whatever it might be, or you just have areas that are chronic to having excess water, it definitely pays off. And the other thing too, Randy, that we haven't talked about is you, you know, obviously you go buy a quarter of land. The only thing you can write off is the, you know, the interest if you finance it, the property taxes here, but you can depreciate the, the tile too. You're right. I mean, you know, as far as when you look at assets you have on your, on your business, no matter which industry you're in, how many assets do you have that are an appreciable, depreciable asset? I think that's one of the neatest things about drain tile is it appreciates the value of the ground. You can depreciate it and, you know, it just, it pays for itself. Yeah. It's a win-win situation. It's a lot like irrigation too, where you, you can uh, depreciate the system and then you have an appreciated asset. So again, another good point. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer in studio today, Gerald Melvin and Randy Melvin from Buffalo, North Dakota on the western edge of the Red River Valley in Cass County. Appreciate them being with us. want to again thank all of our sponsors at Pfeiffer's Auction Realty and Pfeiffer's Land Management. If you want to get a hold of Pfeiffer's Farmland Managers, their equipment and land auctioneers and real estate brokers, which nobody does it better, by the way, you can email them at info at pipers.com or you can call them toll-free, 877-700-4099. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. Again, glad all of you could be with us here for the final two segments. In studio today, Randy Melvin and Gerald Melvin from Buffalo, North Dakota. We've got Boots on the Ground today, active producers, and we're talking a lot about uh, this year's planting, uh, all of the input costs, the, the advantages of drain tiling and that type of thing. And, uh, you know, certain parts of North Dakota, it looks like uh, certain areas, again, and this isn't for everybody. Uh, don't get mad at me if, uh, you know, if you only got 20, 30 percent of your crop in and I say things are going good. But, you know, by all accounts, western North Dakota and central North Dakota are getting somewhat caught up. Obviously, uh, there's still a lot of work to do. But I know nationwide again, and this is according to the USDA now, it looks like about 80 percent of the corn has been planted in the United States now, not in North Dakota and around 60-some percent of all the soybeans have been planted. But again, that kind of varies by state when you think about it. Uh, and again, as of last Sunday, the report that we're pulling up here, peg corn planted at close to 80% compared to uh, about 70% on the previous five-year average. So again, you know, it can, it can get put in in a hurry, but obviously uh, when you got a lot of ground to cover, it certainly takes a whole lot of time. And then also to kind of, uh, you know, 
this this kind of confuses the matter a little bit. There, there, the looming issue really with some of these uh, crops now being able to get in or planted or not planting is the, the deadlines for certain crops if you want to have crop the federal crop insurance coverage, particularly the coverage under the preventive plant portion or provision in the individual farm yield and revenue insurance contracts that are available uh, for farmers. So again, though, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that with Randy here in a little bit. But I, I think it's important for our listeners to understand that Don't Farm is that you know, these programs, uh, the federal crop insurance programs, you know, obviously some of the premiums are subsidized by the federal government to a degree, uh, but they're not made, obviously, they're not out there uh, to enrich the producer. Uh, they're not even really out there to make the producer whole. They're they're out there uh, when you get circumstances like we've had in certain parts of North Dakota this year to help them, Randy, with, with some of their input costs and some of the, the maintenance of that ground for the balance of the year, because obviously, we don't want to have soil or wind erosion or whatever it might be through the balance of the year. So there still is a lot of uh, input costs that have to go into maintaining this. And I mean, don't you think by and large, it's fair to say that every farmer out there really wants to plant a crop rather than collect uh, federal crop insurance under the preventive plant provision? A high, high majority of farmers out there, we're in the business to raise production and we want to get a crop planted and we're going to do everything in our physical power, you know, of what we can control to try and do everything to get that crop in the ground. And, you know, the soil is a living organism. You got to keep something growing on it. And having prevent a plant, um, you know, in that dead time, you want to call it, without a crop growing is not productive. But there's still factors out of our control that you still have to be profitable in your decisions, too, as far as planting a crop. You know, going on planting a crop July 1st or June 25th, is that crop going to mature? Is it What's it going to give you back for production? So you have, there's a lot of factors a farmer's going to go through in evaluating, um, as far as making the decisions that they do in their operation. But yes, we are going to plant a crop if we can. So the federal crop insurance program now, there's certain uh, date, there's deadlines, obviously, to plant a certain crop. So whether it's corn or soybeans, there's different dates where you have to have that in to get full coverage. You could put it in beyond that date, but you don't get full coverage, as I understand it. But is there a point of no return, Randy, where let's say hypo- oh, the, the, the crop deadline is May 31, right? In most parts of North Dakota. For corn? For corn, yeah. There's four corn. counties. Okay. Um, Richland, Cass, Ransom, and Sargent are May 31st. The rest of the state of North Dakota is May 25th as far as having full coverage of what um, percentage level of crop insurance you purchased um, as far as the last plant date. Now, after that, you can still plant the crop for up to 10 days after that. It's just you lose 1% of coverage per day. So let's say you bought a 75% coverage level and you planted the crop five days later. The 75% coverage level essentially just became a 70% coverage level. Is that a big deterrence? I still think a lot of farmers, if they have good soil conditions or fertilizer on that ground, they're going to make the choice to try and plant that corn if they can. So is there a point of no return where, let's say, for instance, uh, you planned on planting uh, corn. Let's just take a round number, 500 acres. You got 200 acres in, the other 300 now I'm seven or eight days past the deadline. I'm, I'm, I'm down 7% or 8% of my coverage now. Do you look, is there a point where you we start looking at alternative cropping in your rotation now if you can get the seed? And obviously you probably maybe put the fertilizer down already. Okay, so now what do I do? So is there other options there that are available? Yes, there are. I mean, if you already have the fertilizer down, you know, your nitrogen on, and if you're not comfortable planting corn, because, you know, after June 1st, your risk goes up substantially. And, you know, a producer may make a switch to put spring wheat in there or another crop that can use that nitrogen. Because soybeans, 
dry beans don't need as much nitrogen. And if you don't have the fertilizer out there, then I think the probability will be higher that a producer may say, you know what, I don't like the risk of planting corn past June 1st. You know what, let's go put soybeans in or put dry beans or sunflowers. And so there is opportunities for a producer out there, but it all comes back down to what field is fit and, you know, rotation, what can you put out there? So for our non-farmer listeners, again, the reason that there would be risk is we're looking at the other bookend on this. We're looking at harvest and whether or not this crop could be susceptible to frost. And obviously, if you have a 90-day corn or 100-day corn or 100-day, 10-day corn or whatever, uh, there's a likelihood of frost on the other end that could damage the crop or lessen the yield substantially, right? So that's kind of what we're looking at. You're spot on. And, you know, as our, for our operation, you know, we normally try and have like an 87-day average for our corn maturities. We already backed those down this year for the acres we did get planted. We're probably sitting at about an 82, 83-day average. But the thing about it too is if we go back to 2019 and the cool summer we had late planting, you remember when a lot of that corn, 19 corn crop got harvested? April, May of 2020. Isn't that something? And yeah. that's part of our... It, it just didn't dry down, right? In November, it was still 25% moisture. You couldn't get in the fields because they're wet, and it was really low test weight. And as far as things that we're evaluating, you know, for our operations, all right, if this summer isn't perfect growing weather this summer and this crop doesn't reach full maturity, all right, how can we mitigate some of these risks? What do we have to do? Because that is an option we have, uh, leaving that corn stand over winter. Do I want to do it? Absolutely not but it is a tool in the toolbox we can utilize to give that crop some time to naturally dry down and for that crop to mature. But the other thing about it too is if propane is $4 a gallon this fall, it's definitely going to be something we're going to sit down and run some numbers and analyze for our operation. To see if you, and again, we're talking about drying that crop, harvesting at a certain moisture content and then drying it down to a, a level where you can actually store it so it doesn't damage the crop. That's correct. Yeah. So again, and, and we don't know what that, that those costs are going to be this fall. So Jerry, I want to get over to you for a minute here too. Um, you know, think about it, you know, crop diversification on a year like this is pretty important, isn't it? I mean, you, and, and the nice thing about our part of the country and especially where you guys are at in the edges of the Valley, uh, you have land out there that you can really raise. I mean, you really can raise seven to 10 different crops out there and year in and year out do pretty well. Yes. Uh, I'm extremely happy that grandpa stopped where he did. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great decision for us. But the important part of uh, the discussion of the crop insurance is I think back when I was growing up and my dad and my uncle were farming together, you know, the decisions were made on rotation. And if this field had, let's say, wild oats on it, they had to make the adjustment to kill the wild oats before just planting into them early. So some of the delays were simply because of weeds without the chemicals to control them. And then also there was the difference of crops. And back in those years, uh, it was very difficult raising corn. I remember my dad saying, you know, we combined or harvested corn until Thanksgiving. And I was never so cold every day of my life in November, sitting out there trying to harvest that. So that was one of the factors that they quit raising corn back I suppose in the forties, but we have different choices now. And that's the differences of, of how we can benefit from some of the opportunities that our land gives us. Yeah. And, and we have to work to make sure that those, uh, 
those developments work in our best favors. You know, Randy, we talked about corn. Now, soybean deadlines for crop insurance are, what are the dates? Yeah, June 10th is um, for soybeans and dry beans and sunflowers. And, you know, you can still plant soybeans up until, you know, June 15th, June 20th. You'll have a little bit of crop insurance, um, you know, as far as hit, as far as your coverage level. But you can still plant up to those dates and still expect the full reasonable production on soybeans and dry beans. And yeah, how, how far do you dare go out in our part of the country? How far do you dare go out on, on soybeans? I mean, what is the date? You know, aside from crop insurance, what, what's the latest you'd want to plant soybeans? I have planted soybeans June 25th before and done extremely well with them. I mean, not record yields, but the yield is better than I expected for being planted June 25th. But it's really going to come down to is how is that soil condition? What is that ground like? Because we have ground that has not been fit yet. And here we are in a June this year. What are some of the more later crops that you could plant? I know sunflowers is one that probably does pretty well if you plant it later, right? And some others? Yeah. I mean, you can get some really early season soybeans to do well. Sunflowers is another one. Um, dry beans, you have to be a little careful for. Um, you can still plant them late, but they're a little more susceptible to an early frost. And I've we've combined frozen dry beans before, <laughs> and that's not a fun experience. But, uh, you know, you do have choices yet. If we can get some dry weather and get this ground into a, a fit condition that we can successfully raise a crop. So your dry edible beans, pinto beans, navies, blacks are a little bit more sensitive to frost than probably some of the other crops. So you got to be a little careful if you're planning for harvest and wanting that full maturity at the at harvest time. They're not as forgiving as soybeans. Yeah. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auction here. Randy Melvin and Gerald Melvin from Buffalo, North Dakota. Farmers on the western edge of the Red River Valley here in studio with us today. Appreciate them being with us. And they've agreed to stick around for the final segment. Thanks to our friends at Pfeiffer's Farmland Management, Pfeiffer's Auction and Realty, for sponsoring our show and our podcasts on Apple and Spotify. You can get a hold of them at 877-700-4099 or email their farmland managers, their farm real estate agents, or farm equipment and land auctioneers at info at pifers.com. Folks, you're listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. We'll be right back after this break. Been the money going to do number 35, and I have sold it to you right there. Good bird, just great. Bye. Almond been on here now, $50,000 bid now, 25 bid, 30. Almond 25 bid, 30. Almond 30 now, $30,000 bid now, $30,000 bid now, $30,000 bid Welcome back to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer, America's Land Auctioneer. Thank you all for joining us here on our final segment today. Uh, a couple of friends of mine in studio today, Randy Melvin and Gerald Melvin from Buffalo, North Dakota. Well, Jonathan and Hattie are back home doing all the work. They're in studio having fun with me here today in Fargo, North Dakota. So appreciate them being here with us today. So it's always good to bring their perspective to what's happening in American agriculture. We've been talking about input costs and how they've driven been driven up dramatically, uh, pretty much on parallel with a lot of other inflationary products, whether it's clothing or food or whatever it might be, we always forget about what it costs the American farmer to put in this crop. I thought it was really interesting what Gerald brought up earlier in one of our segments is that some of these larger tractors, you know, these 400 and 450, 500 horsepower tractors burning 20 to 25 gallons of fuel an hour. So at $5 fuel, that's $100 to $125 an hour. 
So again, fertilizer prices, like Randy had mentioned, doubling in value or doubling in cost from a year ago. So again, um, yeah, even though everybody is optimistic about commodity prices where they are today, uh, really when it comes down to it at the end of the day, Randy, it comes down to profitability, doesn't it? Because you have all your input costs and you're going to sell your product uh, every year or the next year, deferred income, whatever it might be for a certain price. But I mean, like everybody else, you guys are in it to make some money, obviously, and you want to. But, you know, really, when you look at it, uh, there's going to be pressure on profitability in American uh, farm country this year. You're right. I mean, you know, I always say it for our operation. My number one goal is to be economically sustainable first. And with it, as far as, you know, with these costs, what are we going to have for production? But if, if we can, you know, make a profit this year and get through it. And one of the comments that someone made to me this last week that they had heard, I thought was really cool is, is this year we've gone from getting a letter grade to now we're on a pass fail course. And I thought that was kind of an interesting <laughs> that way to put it. really good. Absolutely. You know, so it's, you know, right now it's just a matter of if we can pass the class and get through it. And, uh, but you know, I, I still believe we have opportunities this year, but it's all going to be dictated on what we get for weather, you know, in June, July and August and September. Yeah. You know, one thing that's interesting about your operation, you know, and obviously I've been on your guys' farm many, many times since the, the early 80s. So again, really admire and respect what you guys do. And Jerry brought this up earlier and, you know, we talked about, you know, land prices and the ability or the inability to be able to expand, to be able to afford to buy land and everything. And, but Gerald, I thought you brought up a really, really good point. Uh, when you said, you know, we have enough to farm, we don't have to farm every acre of land. And you brought up the question, do you want the farm to manage you or do you want to manage the farm? You know, and I got to thinking about that, you know, that's with any company. And I mean, that's a, that's a, there's a lot of wisdom behind that statement because I think for any of us that run companies, whether I'm running Pfeiffer's auction realty or whatever it might be, do I want to have offices in all 50 states? And then all of a sudden the company's running me. So in your situation, I, I think it's, it, I like that approach because now you're not being managed and whipsawed around by the farm. You guys are actually managing this farm. Well, that's true, and that whole issue came to uh, us when uh, Hattie and I first got married as we sat down the plan that we wanted to implement with our farm and what we were going to do. And, you know, if if you're going to uh, rely on a lot of outside people for different things, employment, services, or whatever, you know, you got to be able to uh, make that work. And one of the parts about what we have tried to make certain is that we have a family lifestyle, that we don't have to stay home and do things just because of the farm. And I remember my wife grew up on a dairy farm and a lot of others as well. And no matter what happened, they had to be there twice a day to milk those cows unless they could find somebody to do it. And that was one of the reasons she wanted to be able to make the decisions that worked for us. And most importantly, every individual has their goals and objectives. And that becomes what they need to deal with. And the part that uh, I've learned through life is, comes back to reality. Reality isn't what you want it to be, nor the way you wish it to be, but it's the way it really is. Either you work with reality or it'll probably destroy you. No, that's a really good point. You know, and obviously the apple didn't uh, fall too far from the tree. We were talking off air and Randy saying, you know, 
if I had my druthers, I'd rather improve some of the land we currently have by drain tiling. Randy, like you talked about, yeah, you would you like to buy a quarter or two next year farm? Yeah, absolutely. But again, it's about improving what you have, making what you have better. And then like your dad said, having that quality of life. Oh, you're right. I mean, especially as a, you know, my wife, myself having four young children, you know, it, it's really critical that we find the balance between the farm and spending time with our kids because they're only young once and, and it's amazing how fast they're growing up. And I know many, many family operations out there probably dealing with the same challenge as we are is finding that balance between the farm and being there for your children. And, you know, if you don't, if you aren't careful, you let this farm take over and it becomes a 24 hour a day job. And in, and yes, there's times that you need to run 24 hours a day, but still on the flip side, you need to be able to have the opportunity to be there for your kids and doing the things and watching them grow up and being, being the, the parent that you need to be for them. That's awesome. Yep. You got to be pretty proud of this guy, right, Gerald? Pretty, pretty good. Proud of him and uh, Jonathan and, and uh, the sons well, you raised. Obviously. His mother and the influence that you have given him have been a tremendous asset. <laughs> well, we only got a couple of minutes left and I want to, these are loaded questions. So the first time in my lifetime, I'm 63, the first time in my lifetime, I have never heard so much talk about there being a famine in the world today. So they're, they're talking about, you know, obviously, and a lot of it stemming from the Ukrainian Russian conflict or war. I call it a war. It's obviously not a, an invasion. It's an all out brutal assault and murderous war, uh, that's been, uh, put out there by, by Vladimir Putin of Russia onto Ukraine. But obviously there's a lot of Ukrainian, uh, farmers who aren't going to be able to put in a crop this year. There's a lot of crop that is in storage that obviously isn't going to be exported because the ports have been blown up or if they are exported, Russia is going to come in and they're going to export Ukrainian food or whatever it might be. But, um, having said all of that, and, you know, we could talk about that for another two hours if we wanted to, but how do you see in, in just the minute or two we have left, how do you see the future of American agriculture based on what's going on in the world today? Well, that's a great question. And it, it really comes back down to the individual, what he wants to prepare for. And there's many, many authors that have written books that are in the news circles that are predicting what's coming and nobody knows what's coming really, but you have to get your mind prepared to do what is going to be in your best interest. And I believe strongly that you must have a preparation and that's one of the things that American agriculture has taught us. It's taught us to be prepared for things that you cannot see. And one of the most important slogans that I think that we have to remember is we're not going to win this year's championship with last year's game plan. Yep. So you have to adapt with the times, right? But it, but be steady, be disciplined, keep keep having a faith that it's going to work out. And like you say, work within your footprint. Well, as Earl Butts said, adapt or die. Yep, exactly. Randy, in the minute we have left, uh, how do you feel about the future of American agriculture? I think we have excellent opportunities going forward. I think our biggest challenges as far as when we talk about famines, you know, is it going to happen in the U.S.? I don't feel it's going to happen from a production side, but I think it, like we talked about the transportation earlier, you know, maybe as far as if you're living in a city, getting the products there um, from the transportation could cause some short-term, you know, supply chain issues. But I, I still feel as we go forward that, um, like I said before, we got excellent opportunities going forward and I'm excited to be a part of this ride. You know, and it looks like American agriculture is going to be relied upon to feed a greater portion of the world this year than they ever have. Folks, you've been listening to America's Land Auctioneer, Randy Melvin and Gerald Melvin from 
Buffalo, North Dakota. Thank you, gentlemen, for being with me today. I certainly appreciate having you in studio today. And I certainly want to thank all of our friends over at Pfeiffer's Farmland Management and Pfeiffer's Auctioneers and Pfeiffer's Auction Realty. You can get a hold of their farm equipment and land auctioneers, their farm real estate agents and brokers, or their farmland managers at 877-700-4099 or email them at info at Pfeiffer's.com. Folks, you've been listening to America's Land Auctioneer. I'm Kevin Pfeiffer. We'll look forward to being with you next week.